Jesus gives. And it's, it's part of a, a bigger section of the Gospels that's known as the farewell discourse. Now, the setting is important to understand the, the mindset of Jesus. This is a prayer that Jesus prays after the, the supper with his disciples. They're in the upper room. And prior to going to the garden to pray, prior to what would be his arrest, um, his trial, his beating, and his crucifixion. And so you, you've got to kind of grasp that, um, where Jesus is and what's going on in, this, in these moments as we read just a portion of this prayer that is found again. John chapter 17, beginning at verse 20. And this is what we read. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they, have, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that you would be known to us, be real to us, and may your Holy Spirit be at work within us. In these words that are read, in these moments that we share, speak to our hearts and do with us as you will. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, on a day like today, on a, a Mother's Day celebration, we essentially celebrate specifically the women who have um, impacted our lives. We celebrate the women who have been invested in us, who have shaped us, who have made a mark for, for, the, for the best. That may be mothers, that may be grandmothers, uh, that may be Sunday school teachers or, or school teachers or neighbors. It could be any number of people. But we celebrate those who have kind of shaped the course and the trajectory of our lives. That's, that's kind of, I think, what's at the core of, of Mother's Day. And if we were to, to create a list, that's my, my fictitious list I refer to all the time. If we were to make the list, there's probably a lot of really important lessons we could share that we've learned Things, cliches, and sayings that our, that our mothers may have spoken to us as children or, or young adults. Things that maybe we now speak to our children. Isn't that a moment when you find yourself saying the same things to your kids that used to drive you nuts when your parents said them to you? And so we could, we could probably come up with a, a wonderful um, uh, and entertaining list of things that our, that our mothers or grandmothers or others said to us through the years. Uh, but I don't want to share that list this morning. Rather, I want to share with you um, a list I came across that is comprised of things your mom would never have said to you. Things that your mother would never have said to you. Things such as this. 
how on earth can you see the TV sitting that far back? <laughs> you get the gist, right? Yeah, I understand. I used to skip school a lot, too. <laughs> how about this? Just leave all the lights on. It makes the house look more cheery. Come here, darling, let me smell that shirt. No, you can wear that for another week. <laughs> now, let me pause on that one for a moment. Because I reviewed this list last night with Tony, and she said the problem with that one is, she's like, I would say that. And, um, and, and there's probably a few of you that would have probably said that one. But um, all right, how about this? Go ahead and keep that stray dog, honey. I'll be glad to feed and walk him every day. The curfew is just a general time to shoot for. It's not like I'm running a prison around here. <laughs> this is my favorite. I don't have a tissue with me. Just go ahead and use your sleeve. <laughs> How about this one? You know when you get right down to it, I am your cleaning lady. <laughs> if you don't stop crying, I'm going to cave in and give you anything you want. What, two more. Just because you were too sick to go to school today doesn't mean you can't hang out with your friends now. <laughs> and then lastly, let's wait and see if your, pop, if your socks pick themselves up first. <laughs> now, there's probably others that we could list of things that, uh, that our mothers wouldn't have said to us. And it's a tongue-in-cheek list, and it's meant just for a, uh, a moment for us to kind of enjoy and laugh together. But... But there's some reasons, serious reasons, why anyone who's invested in our maturing, developing, becoming is not going to say those things to us because they don't speak to the kind of character and qualities that I think we would want any young person to grow into. I mean, the kind of mentality where you expect others to do for you and you expect others to... Um, to acquiesce to, to whatever your wishes and wants are. We, we don't expect and we don't want young people to grow up with that mentality. And the people that have loved us through our growth didn't want us to grow up that way, our mothers or grandmothers, whoever they may be. Because it's not part of becoming a contributing, mature, um, well-developed human being. Adult, somebody who, who makes a difference. That's, that's not what we would want for our young people. And when we look at it from that mindset, we get a little bit of a sense of, of the mindset that, that Jesus had as he prays this prayer. He is looking at what will be his church. And what he's praying for them is that they will grow into a well-developed, mature, faithful community. They will develop the best of who they've been called and created um, to be. In fact, Paul would later write in Ephesians chapter 4, he said, um, speaking the truth in love, let us in all respects grow as a mature body unto him who is the head, Jesus Christ. Let us grow as a mature body. He looks at the church. He looks at the followers. He looks at believers in Jesus, and he says the prayer, God's desire for us is to grow into a mature people, a mature body. And he's talking about the body of Christ that we're called to be. In the very same way that you, I hope, had adults in your life, people in your life who looked at you and said, man, we want to see this person grow into a mature, valuable, developed, adjusted, well-adjusted adult. And that's kind of what 
what we celebrate here today. And this is the heart of what, what Jesus is praying for his church. And really, it's what he's praying for us. Because this prayer, the entire 17th chapter of John is a prayer. It's the longest prayer in the Gospels that Jesus prays. It is known as the high priestly prayer. And in it, there's three focuses of the prayer. The first focus, the first few verses, Jesus prays for himself because he is about to face great trial and, and difficulty. We know that in, in what would take place in the next day, the next 24 hours of his life with his arrest, his trial, his, his um, beating, and his crucifixion. So he prays for himself. And then in the large middle part of the prayer, he focuses on the disciples. He prays for his friends, those who are closest to him. And he prays God's blessings and, and hand at work in their lives. But then he shifts his focus at the end of his prayer. And if you didn't know it, this prayer in John chapter 17 is for you and for me. You may not have known that there is a prayer in the Gospels that pray Jesus specifically prays for us, but this is it. We are the ones he has in mind when he prays this. I want you to hear again how it began. My prayers, my prayer is not for them alone, not for his disciples alone. But Jesus says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. If we who have become believers, if we who have professed faith in Christ, if we could trace our spiritual lineage through generation after generation, generation to generation, going 2,000 years back, we would all arrive at the same group of people. Our spiritual lineage would all take us back to that group who gathered with Jesus on the mountainside, those disciples and others probably no more than a couple hundred when Jesus left this earth. I want you to think about that. Who took up the mantle of Christ and became committed to sharing his good news. We are their descendants, if you will, spiritually. So when Jesus says, I am praying for those who will come to faith through their message, he's praying for us. He is absolutely praying for us. And he becomes like a loving parent, a mother or a father, whose prayers become focused on their children. Because we know that we're called children of God. We're invited to be children of God. He's praying for us. And I'll tell you, in, in my years of life, not just ministry, there are few things that I have ever experienced that are more powerful than a mother's prayer for her children. Than a mother's prayer for her child or for her children. I have seen it and I have witnessed it. When I was... 21 years old, I, I stood next to my mom in her last days of life. I had come back, I'd come back from the Holy Land. I'd come back from Israel. And the day that I flew back, Dad and Tony picked me up at the airport, and we went home because we knew Mom was in the last days of her life. And it was one of the hardest and most wonderful conversations I've ever had. And I'm thankful for it, as difficult as it was. But I remember that conversation so vividly because though the cancer was, was taking her life from her, though the disease was, was leaving her um, weakened and, and very often not even cognizant, in those moments of our conversation, that wasn't the focus of her attention. I'll never, ever forget. She was focused on her children. 
on me and my brother Brian and my brother David. She wanted to know that we would be okay. Our prayer was for us. That was her prayer. Because a mother is always focused on the best for her children. And that's what she lived out. That's the same love that Jesus has. That's the same character of Jesus' life. He's in these moments where he's facing his death, where he's facing his arrest and his crucifixion, and yet so little of his prayer is focused on himself. His prayer becomes focused on his disciples. His prayer becomes focused on those who would be called to faith. His prayer becomes focused on us. That's who he's praying for the way a mother does for her children, so Jesus does for us. And what he prays for, what he prays for is so important in who we are to be. It's so significant in shaping our understanding of of our call as, as Christians and as the church. And I want you to hear the two points of his prayer, the two significant points of his prayer. He says this, My prayer is not for them alone, But I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, for us, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. He goes on to say, so that they may be brought to complete unity. He prays for the unity of his church. He prays for the unity of the men and women, the children and youth that will come to know him as Lord and Savior. He prays that we would be one. It's very similar to what what Paul writes in Philippians when he prays that, that famous prayer that we would have the same mind in us that was in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. He humbled himself even to the point of death. He prays that for the church, that we would have that humble heart, that humble spirit, because it's essential for unity. You cannot have unity when everybody's looking out for themselves. It doesn't work. But when we become shaped by the mind of Christ, we become empowered by the prayer of Christ, we begin to live in unity together. And Jesus wants that for us. One, because we're blessed by it. We're blessed when we're unified. It's the same principle and it's example you've probably seen over and over again, but it's the same concept as this chord. You take this, it's a pretty strong chord by itself, but if I want to make it stronger, I double it up. So now it's two. I want to make it stronger, triple it. So now it's three, and so on and so forth. Every time we add a layer, it becomes stronger. So we are when we're unified in Christ, and we're called to be united as a chord, and sometimes we get knotted up, Sometimes we get out of shape. We don't do it very well all the time. But it doesn't change the truth that when we're unified, we're stronger. We we support each other. That's what baptism is. What are we doing for River? What are we doing for Heather? What do we do for any of our children when they're baptized? We're saying that we together are going to be invested in their life. That we together are going to model Christ because they're blessed by it. And we're blessed by it. We're called to be one. Unity. We find strength. We find blessing. We find Christ in our unity. So he prays for our unity. But I don't think it's just, in fact, I know it's not just so that we would be edified. But he prays for our unity that Christ may be glorified. He prays for our unity because in our unity, Christ is glorified. 
Hear the rest of this prayer. He says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In their unity, he goes on to say, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He goes on to say, let my glory be manifest. When we are unified, Christ is glorified because we become one. And so what's, the, what's the song that we said? Um, we are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that one day, um, I'm forgetting the words, our unity be restored, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. They'll know that we are Christ followers by our unity, by our love for him. That is what he prays. We be unified so that he'd be glorified. I was thinking about that, and I started to think about this picture that we have on the wall. It's, in the, it's here in the gathering place most Sundays. It's not at the moment because I took it off. It's normally hanging right here. I don't know if you've ever paid any attention to it, but I went ahead and grabbed it this morning. It's bigger than I remembered it being when I took it off the wall. Listen, some of you may have seen it up close before. But um, what do you see? Yeah, you see Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus, right? Until you get close. When you get close, if you haven't looked closely at this, you're going to have to take my word for it, but I'll leave it down here so you can see it later. But it's actually a mosaic. And in this mosaic that makes up the picture of Jesus are individual pictures of every church family that was in one of our previous directories. If you look really close in this mosaic, you can see the pictures of families and individuals who are part of this church. And when we come together in unity, people see Christ. When we come together in unity, people see Jesus. He understood that. He knew that he was entrusting the gospel, the good news, the message to his church. And in order to share that, in order to be his witnesses, they had to be unified. We have to be unified. So when he prays for us, what does he pray? That we would be unified, that people would see Jesus. I heard a preacher once say that nothing scares the devil more than a church that is united. And so when he wants to destroy the church, the first thing he does is attack our unity, attack our ones. That's not to say we always agree or that we're always of the same mind, but we are always called to be of the same heart, and that's a heart for Jesus. When we are unified, Christ is glorified. That's who we are called to be. When he looks at those who are his children, he wants them to reflect him. I mean, think about it. I mean, we know our children reflect us. I mean, how many parents have ever... You, you know the feeling of being an absolute terror because you're walking into a store with your children and you have no idea what's in store. You have no idea what behavior you're about to get. In fact, if I wanted to make you parents the most nervous, especially with young children, I would invite your children up. I'd bring them out of children's church. I'd walk them all up here, and I'd put a mic in their hand. <laughs> and I'd say, tell me about your mom and dad. You would be wetting yourself. You'd be so scared. Because we know our children reflect us at some level. They do. I, and, and look, I'm no different. I've told, I've told you before. Father's Day years ago, 
at, at the church in Hudson. Dad was still serving, uh, and I was leading the contemporary worship there. Uh, they decided on Father's Day they were going to invite the kids over, and they were going to do that. They were going to give them a mic and say, tell us something about your dad. And I absolutely forbid Tony from allowing Ryan to come up. He was four years old. And I said, there is no way you give that kid a microphone. There's no way. My ministry will be over. And, um, but our children reflect us for better and for worse. We, we reflect Jesus for better or for worse. And when our unity falls apart, we undermine our witness. You are to be my witnesses to the world, to the end of the world. But when we lose unity, we lose witness. So Jesus prays for their unity. He prays for our unity, the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. So it's our unity to his glory. Our challenge is, is living into that. That's what we want for our children. We want them to grow into full maturity. We want them to get along if they have siblings. I mean, we do. Sometimes it's hard to imagine that day's going to come. I was looking at my daughter. <laughs> and I say that teasingly. They love each other, even if they won't say it out loud. But, uh, but we, we want them to be unified. And Christ wants it for us. He says that they may be one so that I may be known. That, that's our prayer today. That is our prayer today as a church. There may be a lot of things that can be said about us. But if it's nothing more that they're unified in Christ, then we've done a good job bearing witness to Jesus. That we would be unified. That he would be glorified. Let's pray. Gracious Jesus, that is your prayer for us. And it is a, a tough prayer for us to live into sometimes. It is hard to get along. But your spirit makes things that are hard possible. In fact, your spirit makes things that are impossible possible. And you took a, a ragtag bunch of disciples and followers, fishermen and, and tax collectors, and a motley crew, and you used them to change the world because they found unity in Jesus, that we'd find that same unity. And together you'd use us to change the world, our unity for your glory. We pray it in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Friends, I'm going to leave this down here. If you want to come up after worship and take a look at it, just to make sure I'm not lying to you, you can see, uh, you can see all those pictures in that mosaic as we join together. Right now, brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to stand as we sing our hymn of commitment this morning, Jesus United by Thy Grace. <laughs>